want to do in any way. Um, but we want to just take a moment to, to pray for them, to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are uh, in the midst of this as well. Father, we thank you this morning that um, in so many ways, as much as we can end up uh, disappointed, even complaining about at times our own fate, even our own country, that we have been blessed. And we pray now that in that, we would ask that you would bless in this situation. Lord, for you to work in a way that only you can. We think of the country of Ukraine. We think about our, our brothers and sisters in Christ there, even those uh, with the alliance. Not only that your protection would be upon them, but your provision would be there. Lord, that you would continue to help so many that are displaced and have desperate need of so many things, but most of all, the need of hope. We pray in the midst of this, even as there are those within that nation that stand up, so to speak, and fight for the country, that there would be those who would stand up and fight for you and the hope that you can bring. Then in the midst of this, there would be those who would share the hope that can only be found in you, Jesus. We pray for safety. We pray for perseverance. We pray for the government officials to have wisdom to lead in a right way. We think of the neighboring countries that have taken in so many uh, refugees, or those who are displaced, and the need for uh, relief workers and other organizations to help care for this massive wave. That you would meet not just the physical needs, but meet them in all of their needs in these moments. We pray for all involved in war, for your presence to be known. Not just those there, but those whose loved ones are in the midst of it. Lord, we pray for peace. We pray that ultimately your will would be done. We don't know what is happening. In many ways, all of this is in your hands and it is up to you. We recognize even last year, looking at all the end times, we don't know 
where this is going. Or what's going to happen and perhaps the hope of many that it will end quickly and soon in a way that is righteous, that is right. For Lord, no matter what lies ahead, you are still seated upon the throne. No matter whether this is something about what is to happen at the end times or not, does not matter because you are still seated on the throne. We have not been given a spirit of fear. And we pray that that peace and courage that you can give us can be passed on to others that can be passed on to others and even those in the midst of it. Lord, help us to know how to pray. Recognize even and just in the things I'm saying that it's not enough. There is more. There is specifically things that yet can be prayed for. Lord, I pray that you would help there to be a light shining in this darkness. And that as people see that light, it will be unmistakably you that will come through. Not only to the people in Ukraine, but to all across the world. That the light of Jesus would shine. Lord, as we enter into your word, we open up. Not just our minds, our ears to hear in our mind, but in our hearts and to understand what we need to do. May this not just be some academic exercise to learn something that we haven't known before. or We didn't really completely understand. It means nothing if we do not do your if we are not doers of your word. But hearers only. Forgive us for so many times we are just hearers and we think that's enough. speak not just that we understand but that we know what we need to do in relation to this even as we've been talking about how you've called us to speak into one another's lives give us uh, you've already have but I just pray in this moment Holy Spirit that it would be so clear that you would speak to each of us about someone that we need to speak into their life someone who needs lifted up or turned around or something that's going on with another brother or sister that we are responsible for. Not only bring that name to our minds, but burn there who they are in our hearts. Burden us to follow through in love with our brothers and sisters here. And we just Commit this time into your hands. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you would turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, that will be our scripture reading that we start with here. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. In verse 2, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will 
put up with, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, discharge all the duties of your ministry. You know, we've been talking about how God's uh, commanded us, not just told us, but in many ways, commanded us to speak into one another's lives, ministering to our brothers and sisters in the family of God. That even that is a part of why we are gathered here today. Uh, we don't always think about it, but that's what the verse oftentimes somebody talks about. Well, we're gathering today. Remember uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Yeah, yeah, uh, give up the meeting together. But you know, the whole verses there is let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds how do we spur one another on to love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching there are various ways that we speak into one another's lives that we looked at last week in fact we even had a, if you will had a, a list of the different ways that we could speak uh, into one another's lives as we look at this. This week we're looking to find, uh, this week we're looking at the final ways of number four and number five as we think about this. Ah, this might not be good. This is last week's. Hopefully you guys didn't get, that's not what was sent to you. But uh, so we, uh, we probably won't be going off of this. This is last week's uh, pro presenter. Um, this week should have been in the actual, what was in uh, planning center, hopefully. All right, so while they look at that to see whether it's uh, uh, user error on my part or not, uh, you're going to have to follow, which means... If you need a Bible, there are some right over there, uh, and I uh, encourage you because there's going to be some verses that we're going to look at that you're going to want to see. So, uh, nonetheless, these are the one to five while they're working on that. These are, actually, there was a zero. Anybody remember what zero was? What was it? Let it go. Zero was do nothing, right? Nothing. Just let it go. So these are where it at. We're going to go to number four and five. Speak words of rebuke. Speak words of rebuke. Now, I know that some are probably like, you know what? I would have been okay if we just didn't go on with that this week. We didn't really need that. You know, it makes us uncomfortable to talk about rebuking somebody. I mean, in fact, if we're honest, some of us really believe that it's wrong to rebuke and even unchristlike. Now, part of the reason for that is because we've only seen it done in a wrong, unchristlike kind of way that it's been done in the past. But also because we cannot think of when we would actually do this. So here's a question for you. I, I want to pi picture a scene. All right. There is a responsible adult on the side of the street getting ready to cross a street that they have crossed before. There are no cars coming. There is no danger as they're getting ready to cross the street. In that moment, do you yell out a blood-curdling scream, Stop! 
don't go. Now, there are a few people like that. But no, it's an adult. There's no danger. There's nothing going on. They've crossed the street before. They can cross the street. You don't go to a level five, speak rebuke to them. In fact, you don't have to do anything. It's really a level zero. Just, hey, I I don't need to say anything. But if it was somebody younger, a, a child that was getting right across the street, even if there was no cars coming, there still would be a sense of, you know what, I should probably say something. You know, encouraging them to look both ways. That would be a level one. There may be even up to a, a level three exhortation about how they're doing this or what they're doing without assistance when they should be having somebody go with them. I mean, we kind of, it depends. But if they're about ready to step out into that street and you see a car coming quickly, is that the moment to do a level one pat on the back of nice words, encouragement? No, that probably is the time when you're going, stop! Don't move. Stop right there. You see, what I'm trying to say is there are certain times, and they may not happen a lot of times, but there are certain times where we need to have a level of reproof or rebuke into others' lives because it is so serious. We've tried everything else to try to speak to them. It hasn't worked. This is what's going. This is where we've come down to. There comes a time where that is needed as the danger gets closer and closer. As our brothers and our sister is starting to walk off of God's property and stepping out into dangerous traffic. Sometime we've got to say something. There is that that time that we've got to say something. We've got to rebuke. How do we do this? And we might as well figure out the way to do that God's way. Let's look first at the fact that, number four, we need to speak words of reproof. Reprove. Uh, to reprove someone is spoken of throughout the Word of God in a number of different places. Uh, Proverbs, uh, you've got your notes there. If you don't, like I said, they're in the back there. You can pick those up. I'm not going to turn to all those, but just there's a number of Proverbs ones I mentioned that you can look at and study on your own. But it, it's a time when uh, what's needed is straight talk, more direct words, harder words. Not harsher words, but harder words. Uh, and, and I think of an example of this uh, more direct, harder words being spoken. It may not be that this word reprove is used here, but I'm reminded about Paul, uh, where it could be said that he reproved or even rebuked Peter for his hypocrisy, acting one way, buddy-buddy with the Gentiles, and then staying away and going the other way with the Jews who came to town, thereby damaging the cause of Christ and new Gentiles and what's wrong. And it was just wrong for Peter himself. You, you find this in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. And like I said, this uh, now you're going to have to, which is a good thing, to look it up in your own Bibles. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. We begin there. When Cephas, 
by the way, Cephas is Peter. Uh, it's just uh, another name for P uh, who Peter was. So in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow, follow Jewish customs? Come on, Peter. What are you doing? I mean, this wasn't like a little encouragement, checking Peter off at the side, kind of saying, you know, I probably you might want to think about, no, this was right to the rebuke level where it needed to be. We may not totally be comfortable with having to say something as strong as like what Paul said to Peter, but listen, they're disciples. I think they got a clue of what's going on and what's right and what's wrong. The thing is, if, if you've tried to talk with someone and encouragement, exhortation, uh, admonishment hasn't worked, then that's not the time that I see so many Christians. That's not the time where so many Christians just say, well, I'm just going to wash my hands of it and walk away. We walk away, but we haven't tried everything that God said that we're supposed to be doing to help them, which includes a reproof, even a rebuke. Oh, but it makes me uncomfortable to do that. And what's strange is we want God to move in their life. But we won't move. We won't do an uncomfortable thing that needs to speak to that person more directly. Oh, I tried to speak to them, but you know, just somehow they didn't get it. They didn't take it seriously. Well, maybe that's because you haven't got to the point where you're talking to them, where you are talking to them in a way that they understand you are serious about this. God is serious about this. Do you understand how I feel about this? Do you understand how God thinks about this? The seriousness of it. We're not communicating that. We're coming alongside and we're trying to help them. We're trying to pat them. We're trying to even give them a little bit of a, hey, come on, come on. They're, and if that's not working, we've got to step it up to that next level of where that is. We've got to get to the point. There comes a, a point in time where we can't beat around the bush any longer and not talk about the elephant in the room. That's not God's love. You know, uh, whoops. I'm, well, we had it up there. Now we've got the words. 
Okay. There, there's where we were at. Ah, uh, there's where we're going. Okay, the list. Zero to five. When's it time to reprove? When's it time to rebuke? Great question. Listen, mentioned this last week. It's important as you look at these, because even though I put these up last week, I don't want anybody thinking these are steps. Like, okay, I did this step. Check it off. I try, You know what? I tried to encourage it. I said something nice. They didn't take it. I tried to, you know, check, 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 check. These are stages or phases. These are not steps like, oh, I did it, so I'm done. It doesn't work that way. This is not a one-size-all-fits way, uh, kind of way of helping other believers. Everyone, every situation needs to be looked at separately and dealt with differently. Uh, it's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them. Look at this. Look at the scripture. And you see there are different ways admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak. There are different ways that we are to speak into different people's lives in different situations. You don't use a hammer for everything. There are different ways. But sometimes you need a hammer, so to speak. These situations, sometimes you just don't even know until you get talking with somebody on what you need to say. In fact, it may be a number of combinations of all of those that you put together. Uh, For example, there are different people who are stuck in the same sin. I want you to think about it. You can think of whatever sin it is, but different people stuck in the same sin. But our response to them should be different. For example, someone who's stuck in this sin, but they know it, they admit it, they want to be free from it. In fact, they're already getting great reproof in their own head from thoughts, not just uh, of, of, of Holy Spirit and the, the selves condemning, but even gotten to the point where the enemy's voice is breaking through, the destroyer, the thief, the liar that's telling them that they will continue to fail and not win over this sin because they are a failure as a Christian and they should just give up. Do you understand how you talk to that person is going to be different than how you talk to the person who says, I know it's wrong, but I don't care. It's different. You know, you just don't, come in one way with that person who's already broken and wants to change so how do you help them versus the person who says you know i'm fine god's fine with it i don't think there are any problems yet sin is very clearly spelled out what they're doing there's a sense that there are some people who need a fire put in them but there are other people who need a fire put under them hey anybody got an amen there now that's right right That latter part is the the reprove or the rebuke stage, if you will. And there are other considerations on how we approach someone. I I think about my two grandsons. They are two years old. And they they come over to our house. And let's just say they do something that, shall we say, is questionable. I'm trying to think of how to say it because I know that some of my kids actually watch this. So... (laughs) 
you know, there's, a, there's, there's, only, you know the, there's only so much you can say and you should say as a grandparent and we're learning that. And, um, but, you know, th- so the, this grandchild does something questionable and the parent is like, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. I don't understand what they think. You know, what are, the, what are you doing? What's going on? The, the inappropriate behavior that, that's happening. Don't understand why the child would do such a thing. But it's easier when you get to be a grandparent to be able to look and say, I know exactly what the problem is. You know what the problem is? Your kid is acting exactly like a two-year-old. course that might be because they are two years old you know it's understandable that doesn't make what they did as right but we've got to think through these things when we're talking with people in their life because as you think about this there are are those who are new christians there are those who are still babes in christ and as we interact with others we got to understand where they are at You do not discipline a six-month-old baby the same way you discipline a six-year-old child or a 16-year-old or a 60-year-old. You discipline them all in different ways, even though they might be doing the same childish thing. We still maintain consistent, godly expectations of right and wrong. That doesn't change. We're not saying they get a pass, but there are Christians at different maturity levels and we need to grasp that that doesn't excuse their sin, that doesn't give them a pass, but it does mean that we need to talk to them differently and to take into consideration their immaturity and not just immaturity in their knowledge base of the word of God, but their immaturity in the selfish me thinking that, that is often there, the immaturity emotionally in some that is not yielded to the Holy Spirit's work to grow in Christ's likeness. And hopefully we're grasping that, that this is not just how direct that we get with someone, so to speak, but that we focus on what is it that we need to talk with them about. Because oftentimes... We go through those one through five, you know, we're going down through there, and we just keep talking with somebody about the same thing, their behavior that they just keep doing that's a wrong behavior, that is not a, a, a behavior that God wants. And we keep hitting that. That's what we see. That's the fruit. And the problem is we're going to keep hitting that, an admonishment, and even going up to rebuke, and it's not going to change because we're not dealing with the root. You see, there's something deeper going on. There's something else going on that you need to address the root with them to speak into their life, not just, hey, you need to stop that. Like, why are you not stopping that? What's going on? I know you're trying to do something, but how's that going for you? Is it working? Is that really getting you where God wants you to get? And if not, let's talk about that. Let's ask God to help with that. By the way, did you know there are certain people at certain times that you should not rebuke? For example, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Again, those, uh, those references are in your notes. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Do not rebuke an older man, 
but encourage them as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older men as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. In the Bible, there are good and bad examples of coming alongside God's people and speaking into their lives. For example, Job. Job went through major trials and troubles, right? We all know that. He had friends that came alongside him. Now, we kind of know about the friends, but maybe we don't realize that at first these friends were good. Job chapter 2, if you want to look at that, you can. I'm going to read through just the verses 11 through 13 here in Job chapter 2. Job's friends, at the beginning, here's what happened. Job's going through terrible troubles. He needed someone to come and speak into their life. And, and here's what happened in Job chapter 2, verse 11. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they hardly recognized him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. They wept with him. It's like 1 Corinthians 12. You know, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. They spent time in silence. Not only letting... Job grieved, but grieving with him. It was a good thing. It was a great encouragement. And then they opened their mouths. They opened their mouths with fleshly, human words that may have sounded good, but were not God's words. They went about reproving, rebuking Job to get his act together. Things were only going to get worse because he was the reason for all of his troubles and he needed to repent. After all, we're your friends. And you know, friends sometimes have to say hard things. Now, it's true. Sometimes friends should be speaking to one another. But in this case, it was just religious go-to expressions without considering what's actually going on. They never really took the time. And they ended up saying things that not only were not helpful, but were hurtful. And sometimes so do we. In fact, in the case of Job's friends, he says in chapter 16, you are a miserable bunch of comforters. You are a miserable bunch of comforters. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many people have known some like that. But I think we get a lot. You know, but the thing is, Job would say that, but in their minds, well, we're just speaking on God's behalf. And obviously, you can't handle the truth. That's your problem, Job. Except what we know the truth is, is later in Job chapter 42. God spoke and was ticked off. In a major way at these guys. These quote friends. And what they were saying to Job. In their religious reproof. Because in the end. They were neither speaking in love. Or in truth. Either one. 
if they would have gotten beyond their own self-righteous judgmentalism or the way that you always have to talk to people, you think this is the way it's supposed to go. Instead, if they would have found out the true story, if they really would have not just sat with Job in silence, but talked and let him talk, it would have been different. May we not be a miserable bunch of comforters to our brothers and sisters in Christ. May we be able to speak the truth in love because we've invested enough into their life that we really know what's going on and we can invest enough in prayer for them before God that he can lead us in the right way and the right words. We need to speak words of reproof, but we also need to move on to uh, speaking words of rebuke. I know we don't often see rebuke as uh, something that's positive and maybe uh, that's because we're, we've never seen a positive rebuke. Maybe it's because we don't like telling anybody things like this. Something needs to change. Something God wants out of you. But you know, again and again, in the Word, we, it even speaks of rebuke, such as Titus 2.15. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke. There's both. You got time for encourage, there's a time for rebuking. With all authority. There are plenty of other places, again, that it's in your notes. Uh, there in Proverbs, I, I list a number of them uh, as well. Jesus, Jesus rebuke. You know, we think, oh, it's not right. Well, Jesus rebuke. Uh, John 7, or Luke 17, 3. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. He's telling us, your brother sins, rebuke. A rebuke is something that's a straight, plain, strong, clearly exposing the wrong, trying to convince that person to repent, to turn from whatever it is and to turn towards God. Now, it needs to be noted and made clear here. Most of the time when the word rebuke is used in the New Testament, it is Jesus doing the rebuke. Like in, uh, in Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief, their hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Jesus, it says, spoke a word of rebuke to them. But there is no doubt in our minds, and I'm sure in theirs, that Jesus loved them. They knew he loved them. He speaks, he's out of love, but there was something needed to be said it was at this point. So the fact that most of the times in the New Testament it is Jesus rebuking should give us a clue of how little we should be rebuking others. It is still something that we are to rebuke. It is still something that is done. It is something that Jesus did. But understand, the majority of the time, the scriptures tell us it's more encouraging one another than it is rebuking there are a few times where it will come into place so the person that is constantly rebuking somebody the problem is probably with you and not with them as far as God's concerned that needs to be that's the log that needs to get out of your eye first but to understand some of the examples there are examples in the New Testament of people rebuking other people other Christians some of those examples, however, are wrong examples. Like in Mark chapter 10, in verses 13 and 14, it, the disciples were rebuking those who brought young children to Jesus. So they, they, it literally says they were rebuking them. 
speaking strongly. You know, this is wrong. I mean, just coming down. And Jesus, in a sense, kind of turns on the disciples and says, stop, stop that. Let the little children come to me. As well, we think about Peter trying to turn uh, the Lord from his path. And when Jesus said that the time is coming for him to die, and then Peter has this wrong rebuke of Jesus, and quickly the tables are turned, and there is a right rebuke of Peter. In fact, we see this in Mark chapter 8, verse 32. Many of you have heard of it. Maybe you've not read this, but he spoke plainly. This is Jesus. Or he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Oftentimes all we hear is the get behind me, Satan. There's a point. You know, Jesus loved Peter, but there are times I think something had to be said. Now here's the thing. As you're reading those words up on the screen, nowhere there does it say how Jesus said them. It does not say, and Jesus in a loud, angry voice with a red face said, get behind me, Satan. There's so many times we read into what is happening based on what we would do if it was us. But it doesn't say that. And somebody says, well, well, Professor, it doesn't say he doesn't have his veins popping out of his neck when he's saying that. The point is, it does not say. So stop saying you're being like Jesus in the way you're doing this. When it doesn't say that. To be like Jesus in rebuking, yes. But the way that you're doing that. We've talked about this in previous messages uh, as it's dealt. This is part four, the last one, by the way, uh, speaking into one another's life that had to be done out of love and in love. And that meant gently and patiently. But somewhere, and maybe it's nobody here, but I know there are Christians that do think this way. Somewhere there's this idea out there that when we get to a level of a rebuke in the name of the Lord, that somehow we become prophets that don't have to be patient or exhibit any kind of biblical concept of love. I say this because it goes back to our verse we read at the beginning in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, which is the word reproof. Reprove, rebuke, and encourage... With great patience and careful instruction. Do we hear that? We are to rebuke with great patience and careful instruction. And that word great doesn't mean like we're supposed to have a lot of patience. No, what that word great means is to rebuke with all complete, total patience. Contrary to popular belief, when you get to the level of rebuke, it does not mean that you've gotten to the point where you are done being patient with them. How many have heard that phrase? It, when we get to the level of rebuke, it does not mean that we're done trying to explain it to them so that they can grasp it. No, we're supposed to be careful instruction still. 
even at a level of rebuke. So this picture of a red-faced, angry, veins popping, foaming at the mouth, I can't really understand what you're saying, rebuke, of others is missing on so many levels. There is a, a difference between a carnal, fleshly rebuke, you know, where somebody's just angry and striking back, or a righteous, religious rebuke, versus the God-intended purpose of a restorative rebuke. He said, the problem we have with rebuke, either in doing it wrong or not doing it at all, is because we misunderstand. I don't grasp that the point is it is to be a restorative rebuke. I have a volunteer uh, that's going to help me just to kind of illustrate this. Come on up. If you could stand right over this direction. Now, I have something that uh, I'm going to throw at, at him. Uh, and I want him to catch it. And I want you to think about this as a kind of an analogy here, all right? Uh, that when we're trying to speak to someone, you know, we're not just laying it down on the ground and, you know, kind of talking about it and kind of encouraging it. We really want them to get it. We want them to catch what that we're saying. Right. And the, and the one. So we want to we want to throw, the, you know, in a sense, throw it to them and want him to catch it. You know, I want, I want him to get this. So are you ready? All right. You sure? OK. Ugh! Now, luckily for him, I didn't actually throw this. What happened? I mean, some people are like, what did you just do? You just threw it at him. It hit him. Yeah, it did. I wasn't sure I could do that. Um. (laughs) But did you see what happened when I threw it at him? He reacted. The natural reaction is to protect yourself. Right? His natural reaction is just to protect himself and there's no way he's going to catch that. I mean, somebody says, there's no way you threw that way too hard. You were way too close. There's no way he's going to catch that. But if we try again, are you ready? There you go. All right. Thank you. See, here's the deal. This is what happens. Is sometimes we walk in and we want somebody to catch something that's important for them. But we go in throwing it so hard that it's just a wild pitch. And all they want to do when you're coming in and talking with them is just protect themselves. And we say, well, they're just being defensive. Well, yeah, you just threw that at them. Of course, they're just being defensive. Hello. The point is, this whole restorative rebuke, the point is we need to throw it when it comes to the point where we have to throw something, so to speak, where we want them to catch something and really get it. We need to throw it in a way that they can catch it. Throwing a wild pitch at them is not going to work. It may make you feel better. It may make some of those who think that I'm a prophet just speaking the truth. You know, all that kind of baloney. That's a Greek word, by the way. Uh, baloney is just you know you could do that no we've got to realize that 
Our job out of love is to present it in a way that they can catch it. Even in the rebuke, it says it to be done with great patience and careful instruction. And so sometimes it's not about just going in a rebuke and, and thinking, oh, I just need to kick open the front door and say, I rebuke you in the name of the Lord. You know, that may not get the response that you're thinking. And perhaps times there are times where it's better to come in the back door with a rebuke, but to come in the back door, so to speak. I, I can think of an example of this. Uh, if you want, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 1 to 14. I'm not going to read all of those, rather just kind of summarize it. So if you want to know a little bit more, again, these are in your notes and it's already there written down, should be. I'm thinking of an example of Nathan the prophet when he confronted David about a very serious sin with Bathsheba. And not only what with Bathsheba and the sin there, but what he had done to her husband, basically having him killed. So Nathan the prophet comes into the king, but he didn't barge in the front door and say, I'm a prophet of God with a message for you, king, with his guns blazing, reading the riot act to David after what he did. It would not have worked. It would not have come at David in a way that he could catch it or he would be ready to catch it. Instead, Nathan began by sharing a heartbreaking story of wrong done to someone which was really an analogy i like those david was engaged with that story and as david heard that he got blazing hot angry about it that's just i just that's not right we need to bring the hammer down on that person who's responsible for what you just told me he had to bring the hammer down and nathan said that person is you King David. That person is you. And you have just condemned yourself. And in that moment, the door was open and Nathan was able to present the words that God had given him to give to King David. Very direct, very much of a rebuke. And it led David to repentance and being restored. It was a confrontation, but it didn't come in the front door. It was a rebuke, but it wasn't directly in your face. There was a progression, speaking the truth and love to someone, saying the hard things. Don't have to be a harsh, harsh things, harsh confrontations, cold hard facts. The prophet Nathan speaking to David came around that back door leading to the heart of the matter. Solely just calling out sin is not how it works. Because the purpose or the goal of what we've been talking about here is not merely to call out sin in other people's lives. The purpose is to call them out of sin. To repentance and restoration. Second Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11. Finally brothers and sisters rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. You know here's the thing. A rebuke 
is not condemnation. A rebuke is part of a rescue mission. How many are with me? This is what it's about. Don't hesitate to go on a rescue mission, which means we may have to go to DEFCON 5, so to speak, the level 5 of a rebuke. But it's a rescue mission. And and we're told about this rescue mission again and again. Matthew 18, verse 15. There's more right around that, uh, right around these verses. But this says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You see, the goal, the reason why things go the wrong way with rebuke and reprove and uh, exhortation and all these kind of things is because we forget the goal. We forget the purpose and what what we're doing. You know, it, it's not just there. There are other places like James chapter 5. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is why it's important. This is what, uh, as we've gone through this, that I'm hoping that we can get to. That we can be a family of God that is able to care enough about one another that, first of all, we start at some things, just let it go. Other things we encourage. But when somebody just keeps going off of God's property and down across the road they shouldn't be crossing, at some point in time, we've tried everything else, we've got to just keep stepping up until we even get to the point of a rebuke, which is meant to restore them, which is meant to bring the person back, as it says here in verse 19 which is meant to save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is what it's about. So if someone hears your rebuke and actually turns it around, it's important then to move that conversation back to number one, encouragement. Someone is stunned. Someone may be condemned with what's been said and they responded to God. There should be that sense that they recognize and that they know, that we know, and that we communicate that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It, we, don't, we get to level 5 and we got to go right back to level 1 to understand that. And unfortunately, there are those who are rebuking just for fleshly human reasons, just for punishment on somebody. They want to tell them how wrong they are. And not actually disciple or discipline. And so, and I've actually seen it. When someone actually, when you go to them and you you confront them with their sin and, and you speak. And they right there and then seek forgiveness. And they are repentant and wanting to turn it around right away. There are people in their life who are like, oh no, you can't do that. I got more to say. What do you mean you're responding so quickly to God? And, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I got to knock you down a few pegs further before you can get back up. Don't be going and turn into God yet. You know, I mean, they don't really say that, but that's pretty much what's going on. And we forget. Like what was read uh, even within the worship set. 
In Psalm 103, God says again and again in verses 8 through 13, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor really harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. I know it's possible that you could go through all of this and talk with somebody and and they just don't want to catch it. You know, it's not because we didn't do it, it's because they just don't want to hear it. It's not over then even. Because we need to continue to love them just as God loved us while we were yet sinners, while we were still his enemies, as it says in Romans 5. And we need to continue to pray. That our patience, our perseverance continues to pray. To live out the love of Jesus. As the worship team to come. As the worship team is, is coming to lead us in our closing song. I, for those who are here and those who are watching online, participating online. And hearing this message today, here's something and it's not directly related, but it just something as I'm preparing this, just that sense that I believe God wants me to say. That there are some, perhaps somebody here and somebody that's watching or listening, that the reality is you are not the one, um, you're not the one who needs to go talk with someone. You're the one somebody needs to come and talk with. Are you with me? Yes, there's some of us need to go talk, but some of us need somebody to talk with them. And you know what? God's talking with you right now. The Holy Spirit's trying to break through so many different times. You're headed down the wrong road. You're the one who needs to turn it around, not someone else. Perhaps it's something that no one knows about. Perhaps most of your life looks good, even godly. But there's this closet that you're not giving to God the key there's this area of your life that god is not in control and if you were honest there's this area of life that you're losing control over stop turn around it's gone far enough for those who are here on site even to come to the altar as we sing this last, to lay it before God. Perhaps it's not just for those there, it's that somebody you know that you've only taken it so far in talking with them and and they're heading right out into traffic and it's just not getting any better. And there's more that you need to go and say and you need God's help. But understand this, in all of these things, whatever we've done, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May the Holy Spirit break through.